Hey everybody, this is Pat Cohan with the Idiot Insider Thursday 30. We're here in Denver, Colorado at the 2021 National Athletic Director Conference, filming workshop sessions and sitting down with longtime NADC attendees to talk about what they're doing in their programs. In this episode, we've compiled some of the highlights and hot topics from our interviews and the NIAAA workshops to give you a taste of what being here in person is all about. From our interviews, you'll see snippets of challenging questions that get to the root of what makes the most impacts in the schools that these ADs serve. From the NIAAA workshop sessions, we've clipped out highlights on partnering with parents, social media trends, steps to develop coaches, how to manage difficult conversations, and so much more. As we all go through the frustrations of the on-again, off-again nature of the pandemic, we hope this episode shines a little light in the dark of winter on why your role in education-based athletics is needed valued and shared by amazing people across the country. We hope you enjoy. Biggest thing right now you're banging your head against the wall with? Ooh, that's a good question. Because the more transparent you are with public funds, the less scrutiny. That's a big deal. Here's the positive impact of high school sports during the pandemic. This is it. FDA has actually certified the handout as stronger than Z-Quil. <laughs> it's a gift, yeah. There were three high schools, three middle schools. So I, the, usually the high school coaches are in charge of the middle school programs. And so I call them in. If it, let's say football and basketball, all head coaches show. So there'd be six of them. And I'd tell them, okay, you got six basketball coaches, girls and boys, for three schools. And then three, there's nine of them. I have them sit down and say, okay, write it. So they all know each other's expenditure. So they can't say, how come football gets so much? Or how come basketball gets so much? I literally have them write it out. I say, needs versus wants. And they all look at each other as transparent as it can. There's nothing better than being transparent. I've learned this when it comes to money because the more transparent you are with public funds, the less scrutiny. And so I, they write it out and they, and they look at it and you'll see some of their eyes open like, oh my goodness, I didn't know we had to spend so much on football. This is why. You know, it's not that we want to spend less on basketball. This is the kind of the giant sport this is. Yeah, I mean, it costs, it takes two buses to take a football team compared to, you know, a school bus just to take a whole basketball team. That same game that I was talking about, we had to evacuate. We go home on Thursday and there were about 800 tickets sold. And we do sports passes, so we knew we had more than that coming. But when we roll in on Friday morning, my assistant checks it and we're over 1,000. By lunchtime, we're upwards of 2,000. And, and we had them split, visitor and home. And I started thinking, okay, I know how many seats I have on the visitor side, and I don't have enough seats. So by 2 or 3 o'clock, I'm able to modify, put in some standing room only seats and such as that. And digital ticketing helped me control the fans before they got there because I knew how many were coming. If we were selling hard tickets, no clue. They would have shown up um, and... We, we wouldn't have been prepared. The other thing digital ticketing does, it gets them in there quick. We had that delay. We started about 10 minutes late. And by the end of the first quarter, we had everyone in because all we're having to do is touch those tickets. It allowed us to control them, get them away from the gate, get them in the game. Talk about that switch that you see in young ADs when they go from, it's all on me, I'm, I'm Superman, to when they start to figure out, I'm way better with more help. Exactly. And I think that the key thing for new ADs to realize is you think you're Superman, but it doesn't happen in that respect. Uh, you've got to be able to ask for help. We have a mentoring system in Nebraska where we reassign a, a titled AD that knows what's going on. 
and it's a good resource for them. Uh, we also have our classes for the young ADs that we go through, and we talk consistently about if you need help, this is a call away. You need to reach out, get to know people, get to, to, to connect with folks that you can do things with. And I think it helps them an awful lot. I saw that change because, you know, I was going from a small school AD to a larger school. And at small school, I still did a lot of stuff on my own, having to get things done. When I got to Fremont, it was a situation where I had a lot of help. I, first game that I had was a volleyball game, and I you know, naturally went in early in the day to make sure everything was good. I needed to set up. It was done, and I didn't have to worry about it. Injury. You know, one of the things when, when student athletes become injured, and unfortunately sometimes it requires surgery, many of them were given opioid drugs. Kids can become addicted to opioids way faster than the adult brain can. So what you have to do whenever you have a kid that gets injured, the coach, use the athletic director with the coach, you have to find a way to keep that athlete involved in your program. It can't be, you know, I go to rehab three days a week and I, you know, I go over here to the rehab. You've got to keep them involved because what we found is those kids, as they begin to fade away from the program, uh, some of their issues, be, their physical and also mental health issues become greater. Biggest thing right now you're banging your head against the wall with? coaches, finding people that want to coach. We have a school in our, in our conference, they had to cancel one of their freshman basketball teams because they could not find a coach. But our biggest issue is transportation. We um, typically take yellow buses everywhere for, for our extracurricular activities, and we cannot take a yellow bus if we have to leave before 4 o'clock in the afternoon because we don't have enough drivers right now to cover all of our, our routes for the kids, so we are taking a lot of charters. The good thing is the COVID money from the federal and state governments is paying for that right now. Okay. Eventually that's going to stop, and then we're going to be in a real bad situation of how do we get to our events. Okay, when you look, I mean, ADs are problem solvers, right? So when you look at that problem, where does your head go on solutions? And I'm not saying you guys had to have implemented these, but I'd just be interested to hear you where your head goes in terms of what solutions might right. be possible. So we play a lot of freshman games at 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the afternoon, even if we have to travel an hour and a half to get to them. So right away, if it comes to that, we're going to have to move those games to 6, 6.30 or 7, which, again, doesn't sound horrible. Uh, we do a lot of those game times for in, inner city games, but if we're still traveling an hour and a half when we're done, now we're talking about kids coming back at 10 o'clock at night on a school night. Yeah. Varsity teams do that quite frequently, but freshman teams have not had to experience that. So that would be number one. Number two would be to, to even with our, our, our sister school in town, of having games at the same time. We might not have a home game at our place. Maybe we have our home game at the other school so that a school coming to play both of us can all be at the same time and later so that our gyms are available, things like that. So scheduling the facilities differently, but definitely the scheduling the times differently so that we can get there. Um, and, and likewise, not just transportation. We have some officials issues, I think, across the country that there's not enough of those people coming into the field anymore. And so we're, we're talking about those same time changes for getting more officials to be available as well. So. But will students decide to skip uh, high school sports and just play club sports so that they can benefit from the NIL? Or will they just decide, like high re highly recruited athlete, uh, not play high school sports their senior year? They've already got the scholarship locked in. Go ahead and start benefiting from NIL. Or will uh, they skip their senior year, the Quinn Brewer going to Ohio State initially uh, type of thing? where, you know, went ahead and matriculated to college early so it could make money off his uh, uh, name, image, and likeness. 
Or will we have more and more students transfer to non-state association schools, your, your IMG Academy, Oak Hill Academy, you know, Finley Prep, those type things, so that they could uh, benefit from NIL? Or would you have groups of private schools in states withdraw from the state association, form their own league, and uh, where they would allow NIL rights, but they'd have enough competition within their league to carry their way through a season. So it's going to be very interesting to see how all this unfolds. So there's two tough questions, yeah. and you don't have to answer them. Okay. One, you love the school. You want to stay there. Everybody knows that. Yeah. How do you accomplish your financial goals of growing financially when maybe the principal, superintendent, whoever is your boss, knows they got you in the bag? I have stopped telling them that they have me in the bag. Like early on, I was like, I love this job. I will never leave. I just love this place. And people know I love it. But they also know that I've become quite successful in my role and I've been established athletic director. And they know. And so when people do approach me and say, hey, I'd like you to consider this job over here, I tell my principal, I'm like, the school asked for me to come. I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, you know, and, and I might get to the point where I do go take some interviews or I, might, I may go do that just to make sure that you understand what you have here. Like you got me, you've had me and you did. I came in at 23 years old, so I was really young and they molded me and they gave me an opportunity. And so I've always kind of felt like I've owed them. And now I'm 16 years in and I'm like, I don't, I don't owe you anything. I give you me all the time. How are you going to keep me? Like, and how do you shift that to if, if you were having to... Yeah negotiate your salary right now. Just walk me through a brief overview of how you would build your case. I think that you set the off by like, okay, this is this is my resume, this is what I've done. You know me. You know this well you know this is what I've done. Alright? This is what I'm making right now. I would like to see this amount. And maybe we can talk about it. Why but would you like to see that amount? Whew. Because I put in the hours and I here's another I thing. Know, Do you I, compare it to other people in the industry? Can you get that information? I, it's really funny how I feel like supervisors are constantly like, you shouldn't be asking, you shouldn't be asking other people, this is your private number. But I'm like, no, I think that we need to talk about it. Yeah. I think that we do need to talk about it. And so if I did know this position over here is offering this amount, this is what I'm making, I need to see, maybe not this quite amount, but I need to see something more closer to this number in order to stay. How do you know they weren't concerned about getting COVID-19? You should ask those questions. So we did. So last October, we rolled out the survey again in a smaller sample of Wisconsin schools to try to see what we could find. And let's take a look at this. And we, we targeted school districts and counties that both were allowing sports to proceed and others that were, in, were not allowing sports to proceed. Just to try to see what we could get for normative data moving forward. And we saw this huge, huge discrepancy where the yellow bars now are the kids that played a fall sport. The red bars are athlete scores who would have been playing but we're not. They said, I normally play football. We're not having football till the, till the spring. Or I'm concerned about COVID, I'm not going to play. Or some other situation. We saw this huge thing, that depression skyrocketed. So this is a case where, this is county lines. I lived in a county that their school was in session and their sports played from day one. And I went three miles across the Wisconsin River into another county and none of the schools were playing their sport. So we had this huge dichotomy just within miles of each other, how that's going on. And we know that the boys and the girls score differently on depression. So when we did this analysis, we looked at the boys and girls, and we controlled for that in the analysis, and we controlled for poverty level. And so now when we control for all those factors that could play a role here, 
we didn't see that. We saw this huge, huge discrepancy. Anxiety, same thing. Four times more likely to report anxiety if they weren't able to play a sport. I was a cross-country runner, but I didn't run cross-country this year. I played before. I hope to play next year, but I'm not playing now. And then we have quality of life. And again, now the yellow bars are, are, are good, uh, some good data there. The yellow kid, the bars represent the boys and the girls scores on a scale of 0 to 100 who got back to playing sports in the fall. The red are the scores for the kids that didn't. They're, they're maybe their classmates, or sorry, their cousins, their friends in a different school, a different county that weren't playing. We saw this huge thing. Here's the positive impact of high school sports during the pandemic. This is it. These kids did a lot better. And again, reference-wise, on a scale of 100, you get up to 89, 90. That's pretty good. That's what we'd hope to see. Another part of coaching development, though, and I would love to hear your, your feedback on it, is, okay, so you buy that program or that video series, whatever it is, how do you know you're getting that return on investment? Like, what is the measurement yeah. of that professional development investment? I think the results that you see in your coaches is the only measuring stick that you have. Um, results being what, though? Well, the results of, of carrying out the vision and culture that I, as an athletic director, have for my program. Are the vision and culture, I don't know I'm drilling you, but yeah, I, I want to be clear here. Yep. Culture is write a nice two-sentence, it's a mission. It's yeah. on the wall, it looks really good. But the vision is something I'm really interested in now because it, articulating what it looks like is very hard. And I think a lot of people glaze over the, the specifics, which makes it hard mm -hmm. to know the path to when you get there or when you're close to that. So to me, the vision is, this is what I would like my athletic department to look like and feel like when somebody walks into it. I want my ticket takers, I want my administrative assistant, I want our maintenance workers, I want our, everybody that's involved in athletics. Anytime you come into my school, I want you to feel that culture, and I want you to feel that that's my vision. And so culture, I think, is more than just a, a couple of nice sentences. It's something that you have to work really hard at developing, and you have to really work hard at making sure that other people get to see it. If other people can't see the culture that you have, they don't understand your vision, they don't understand what you're trying to accomplish, and so therefore they're not going to work to get there. And so I, as an athletic director, have to make sure that my staff is working toward that same end result. And coaches have so much on their plates today. You know, you talk about buying a system and saying, hey, let's, you know, let's do this and let's see if it works. You know, the, the, what it was to be a coach in 1984, and to be a coach today is worlds apart. There are so many more layers of what you have to accomplish, things you have to be responsible for. Uh, expectations, I think, are much higher from administration, from athletic directors and everybody else involved. The state associations have rules, tests that you have to take and videos that you have to watch and AED and, and CPR certifications that you have to have. Uh, I, I, I'm appreciative of it all, but I sometimes just kind of shudder when I think of wow, this is a list I have to give to this incoming coach and say, coach, I know you're interested in coaching volleyball or softball or whatever it might be, but here's a three-page list of stuff you have to do ahead of time. I know it's necessary, but it makes the job of hiring good quality coaches that much more challenging. Um, if we think about the social, uh, the athletes that we serve, um, with the recent changes that have happened with the NCAA, with the, ab the ability for name, image, and likeness uh, money to be secured, uh, our student athletes are becoming more brand conscious. 
they're recognizing that they are a brand. So according to information found on broadbandsearch.net, uh, in a 72-year lifespan, people will spend an average of six and a half, seven years, or seven years of their lives on social media. Now, given the amount of time that people now spend with their phones in their hands, it is important for us as athletic directors for our program to have and monitor our program's presence on the web to ensure that those whom we serve can flourish in life. This is a little bit more data uh, based on the data from earlier this year. This is a breakdown of the amount of time per app that the average person is spending on their lifetime. In Facebook, which is now, I guess, a part of my, my generation, uh, we use Facebook a lot. Facebook uh, was a crucial part of our, our college years, and, and we carried that over into our adult lives. And as of right now, people are spending 44% of their lives, or 44% of their time on that particular platform. With 16 athletic directors, part of your district, what leadership style have you, have you changed your leadership style after going through talking to all these leaders i, I have uh in there, what way? there there are flexibility okay. uh one, one of the things that we got from just leader after leader after leader was this uh, this idea of regardless how you feel like it should be done based on the people that you are serving and the people that you are working with you may have to alter what you're doing more. Give me more of that. Well, a you know, perfect example. Uh, we, we Just recently we spoke to, to an author and he, he was talking about Nick Saban and he goes, back in the day you used to have a 270 pound middle linebacker because that's what you needed. Now that guy's got to be 225, 230 because everyone's spread out. He had to make an adjustment. He had to realize I can't do this the way I've always done it. Right. Um, and so the, the way that we have always tackled whether it be sports passes in a school, whether it be um, the managing of an event. Uh, when COVID hit, we went to digital ticketing. You know, this whole idea of, you know, the pandemic, we learned that some things, we learned how to do them better. Yeah. And then we found other ways to do them. Uh, and that, again, just learning from what other people were doing and being able to transfer that to the athletic directors that I serve, there are some athletic directors, they want me there. They want me on their campus. Uh -huh. They want me in active conversations with them about every problem that they may have. Okay, let's say there may be a, they don't have. Do you a, do that? I do. Yeah, uh, they don't have the experience that maybe a more seasoned athletic director does. Maybe for them it's a phone call. Uh, maybe for them so it's a Zoom I'm deal. Stop yeah. you here. So you adjust your leadership style to the needs of the people you serve every day, as opposed to having a leadership style that everybody bends to. You got it. I I never. I was a coach and as an as a athletic director, I never really just wanted someone to tell me one way to do something. Yeah. Because there's always other ways to do it. And, and what may work for you may not work for me. Do you struggle with identifying what your leadership style is? Sometimes. Because Being there are, a chameleon is really tough if you've got people pulling you in such different contrasting ways. Well, I think ultimately you're going to have some, some deal breakers. I mean, you're going to have certain things yeah, that okay. I want Lines done this sand, way. Not going to do you it. You got it. Yeah. But I think that we live in education and in interscholastic athletics, that we live in the gray. You know, there is, not everything is just black and white. There's a lot in the gray. And if you're not comfortable in that space and being able to adjust and adapt, you're going to have a hard time, you know. And again, how we're trying to get parents on board on the front end. 
you know, his issue was with accountability really had to do with getting ready for practice. You know, he, he would have kids who would show up right as practice was starting. Some kids are coming out, shoes aren't tied. Some kids have shoes in hand. Some kids are, you know, forgetting their practice gear, right? And, and it was really, it was getting systemic. I mean, we had some, some real problems. And so accountability was a natural core value for his program. And of course, we had all of those things. Um, for the sport, for practice, right? I mean, here's what time you're going to be ready. Here's what you're going to have with you. Here's what you're going to have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he got that to school then, right? And again, real easy for accountability in school in terms of, you know, being on time for class, having your homework, helping, you know, teachers, doing whatever. Um, but here was the brilliant thing that he did at home. And I just absolutely love this um, because he wanted to tie his at-home instruction within accountability to what he needed the kids for the sport. So he sent the message home to parents, and he said, look, I need you to help me with accountability for our kids. So here's what I need you to do. Um, here's what we're asking the kids to do. Every single morning, these kids are going to do three things before they go to school. Okay? They're going to get up on their own, whatever that looks like. They set an alarm, right? They wake up naturally. What, they're going to get up on their own. You, mom and dad, are not going to go into their bedroom to wake them up. Okay? They're going to get up on their own by whatever method they choose. Number two, they're going to make their bed. Before they leave the house that day, their bed will be made. And number three, they're going to have a good breakfast. Okay? And we've got some nutrition things, and so there's a, a list of stuff. Um, but mom and dad, you are not going to help them with any of those things. Okay? You are not going to wake them up. If they are late for school, that's on them. Okay? If the bed is not made, and then there was a list of things he had at home, right? If they leave and the bed's not made, I mean, here's how we're going to deal with that, right? They are going to make their own breakfast. Here's the list. As a parent, I need you to have some of these things available, right? Have something more than Lucky Charms in the cabinet. Um, but you're going to help me teach the kids how to be accountable, and here's your job at home. Okay? And this is what we found to be the most effective thing for us, okay? Because a measure won't drive behavior, or excuse me, a measure, yeah, it won't drive behavior if it doesn't maintain attention, and it's not going to maintain attention if it's rarely assessed. And this is part of the issue of what goes on with the stuff we're trying to teach in sport. If we're only trying to teach it in sport, that means there's 22 other hours a day that it's not being maintained. And this is what we're trying to do with our core values, right? If we've got our parents on board, okay, that's one hour at home in the morning where we can remind the kids to eat. Right? If we're giving them strategies in school, that's an eight-hour school day where we're reminding the kids to eat. And then it's two hours of practice where we're reminding the kids to eat. And then everything afterwards, socially at home, we can remind the kids to eat. Okay? We are going to constantly maintain attention to make sure that it's constantly assessed. The key in all this is the athletic director understanding and learning about the law, not fearing the law, learning as much as they can about the law. The athletic director in your high school should be should be the expert in Title IX compliance in athletics. And so you want to you, you, you you learn about the law, you want to seek out resources, and you know, NIAAA certainly has provided many resources. Um, there, there are many people that are a phone call away. Um, and, and on that same track, high school athletic directors should be having conversations with their school district's Title IX coordinator. Uh, because Title IX, as we know, is not just about sports. It's a broad-based sex discrimination law, and it, it, it pertains to all of our programs. And the hot button today, quite frankly, Pat, is the sexual harassment piece. And with the new Title IX regulations coming out last year that addresses how schools must handle sexual harassment complaints, that's a big deal. And so the Title IX coordinator and the athletic director should be having conversations. The Title IX coordinator and the athletic can learn from the athletic director about 
athletics compliance and there should be dialogue going on. So I think that's all part of the process. I loved how you said understand it over fear it because I think that people do fear it. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, in what a common conversation will be, the, the punchline will be, ah, that's going to be a Title IX thing. I don't want to touch it. Right? It's, ah, I don't know about that one. Title IX is probably going to mess that one up. Yeah. I don't want to get yeah. in there. And that's about, that's not a good way to approach it. You, you just really need to dig in and learn about it. And not, like I said, not fear it. Um, yeah, yeah so it, but it becomes overwhelming. And when I teach the 506 course, the NIAAA LTC 506, the Title IX course, I will often say to my audiences, you, need, you, you should be doing a self-audit regularly. That should be part of your best practice. That should be a part of your standard of conduct. But if you've never done one, don't attack it all at once. Chunk it. Take it piece by piece. Take it bit by bit. Maybe analyze the three-pronged test first and analyze that. Give it a deep dive. And then start working on that laundry list. And you know, I tell ADs all the time, you might be amazed because you might do your self-audit and say, okay, we're, we're struggling over here, but over here, we're doing great. We're fantastic. And, and it really is great to look at your program and, and where it stands and what you need to do better and what you're doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time to watch this show. Our goal is to provide access to experts and educators in the field of athletic administration, but this is your show too. So please tell your fellow athletic administrators about the show. Tune in next Thursday when we start our 2022 slate of interviews. Follow us on social media and check out our website, athleticdirectorinsider.com.